Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone here this morning and uh, all in good voice. Uh, actually, we have larger candles, so. I was hoping that I could have one of them smoldering, but we'll have to, <laughs> you'll have to imagine that. Let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we are uh, certainly in awe of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that despite the familiarity of the story, despite the fact that for many of us who have known and loved and served you and have um, spent many Christmases in the celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, that once again this season would be um, a time to renew that sense of awe, to refresh our wonder, and to be humbled in the sight and in the, the knowledge and in the reality <clears throat> that God who cannot be contained, who is larger uh, than the universe in which we live, chose uh, willingly, lovingly to confine himself uh, to our flesh, that he might so identify with us in our joy and in our sorrow, uh, in our weakness and in our strength, uh, having been tempted in all things as are we yet without sin so that he might become um, sin for us so that we, by faith in him, would become the righteousness of God. What an amazing thing that the God of the universe clothed himself in our sinful flesh that we might be clothed in his holy righteousness. That, <laughs> that's awesome. So we thank you. We thank you that we serve a strong yet gentle savior, <clears throat> a firm but loving shepherd, a God of grace and a God of justice who gives to us both. We see it demonstrated on the cross. We see it and feel it in your word and in our fellowship with one another in Jesus' name. Father, may this day refresh our understanding of what it means to follow him, to find our rest, our true rest in him. For this we ask and pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. <clears throat> I want to begin um, this morning's message by um, briefly returning to a verse from last week's message from Isaiah 2. Um, I wanted to clarify something which, um, as I thought about it, I had left uh, unclarified. Uh, verse 4 of Isaiah 2 says that, uh, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, said, He shall judge between the nations, he shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And I said last week that the Messiah, when he comes, meaning Jesus, he'll settle disputes with a decision that is so absolutely just that it will establish a true and permanently satisfying peace so that nations will turn their weapons uh, of war into farm implements and they will abandon any plans that they have to wage war against him or against one another. But there's another reason, and this is what I <clears throat> failed to include in last week's message, and it becomes a, an introduction into this week's message as well, so I have woven the two things together. 
There's another reason why the nations will beat their swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks, not lift up sword against one another, neither learn war anymore. And the reason is this, <laughs> that the Messiah himself will suffer judgment on behalf of those nations. In other words, when the nations realize that when they look upon the one whom they have pierced, they will realize that he was pierced, he was wounded for their transgressions, and he was crushed for their iniquities, for their injustices, for their sins. And they will then realize and they will know and they will understand that the judgment he suffered means that we can experience a true and a permanently satisfying peace between God and humanity. That's the message of the angels in Luke 2. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message that Paul proclaimed in Ephesians 2, that we now have peace with God. And having established this peace between God and humanity, this is how God is now able to establish peace on earth and goodwill among men and women with whom he is well pleased. The Messiah, Jesus, comes in order to restore our relationship with God by becoming the atoning sacrifice for sin, by enduring and suffering the judgment uh, that is due us. And because sin no longer separates us from our God, the Messiah is then a true source of true and permanently satisfying rest for our souls. And let's face it, we all need rest. I, for one, speaking from experiences past fall, am tired of being sick. I'm tired of my wife not feeling well. And that wears upon a body, that wears upon a mind. You may have the similar experience of just wrestling and battling through sleepless children, restless nights, worried about work, worried about the future, worried about your finances, worried about whether or not God will provide for you a spouse, whether you will ever get out of debt. You will spend your time pleading, if not silently, pleading in prayer, God, give me rest so that I can sleep, so that I can think clearly, because if I can think clearly, I can act decisively. The rest that we need comes from Christ. In the opening paragraph of his uh, Confessions, which was written in, in the fourth century, Augustine explained why we have this need. It's a universal need, this need for rest a true and permanently satisfying peace of mind and rest for our souls. It's a very famous line. You may recognize it immediately after I read it. Writing about humanity, Augustine writes this, humanity who is but a particle of your creation wants to praise you, O God. You awaken us to delight in your praise for you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So I don't know where you are this morning. Some of you I know have been walking with the Lord for a very long time, some for a brief time, maybe some not at all. Maybe for, for some of you, church is just something you do, or you've been dragged or invited here. But we're all looking for rest. We're all searching for something that will give us a sense of security, assurance, certainty, a sense of the absolute. We're restless. 
And we are restless until we find our rest in the God who created us in his image and his likeness. Centuries before Augustine wrote those words, this is what Jesus meant when he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The rest that Jesus offers here is the very same rest that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus is born. When he talks about the servant of the Lord, the one that God will uphold and and all of that, the, the key part of Isaiah's prophecy comes in the line that says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He's not a boisterous servant. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. I have a picture of a broken reed I want to show you. If I pull it up on the screen, there's, you feel like that sometimes? A little snapped off in the middle. There's a faintly burning wick right after that. Right? There's a little, you can't really see, there's a little bit of red still left in the week, but in the wick rather, but that's us. We're smoking. And it's not because we're hot. It's because we're tired. And the wind of circumstance and adversity and of life has just blown us out. And we're waiting for someone or something, and we're trying desperately to fan that which we want to be back into flame, into flame. Whether it's our love for Jesus, certainly our love for Jesus, but our love for, for wanting to serve him. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the servant of the Lord, the one that's foretold by Isaiah. And our hearts indeed are restless till they find their rest in him. We have this desire because we understand whether consciously or not, we are longing for something that no experience in this world can truly give to us. That's why our hearts are restless, because we keep looking for that rest in the things that this world has to offer. We don't find it, because nothing in this world is made to give us that kind of rest. The rest that we're looking for can only be satisfied by coming to Jesus, by taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. He gives us, does Jesus, true rest in a truly restless world a real satisfaction in a really unsatisfying world. Genuine security in a genuinely insecure world. Where are you looking for rest? Some of us are looking for rest, I think. (laughs) We'd like to say, I mean, if I were to corner you because I'm your pastor, where are you looking for rest? You'd raise your hand, well, I'm going to say Jesus. But in reality... Where are you looking for rest? Some of us are looking, many of us, are looking for rest in the wrong things. I, myself as an example, I'm looking for rest in the health of myself and my wife. That's fine, but that's not my ultimate source of rest. Some of you are looking for rest in your work. 
if I can just keep putting in the hours, just building up the retirement account, just impressing my supervisors, just maybe, just maybe, I can get that corner office, or I can get that sense of independence, or I can start my own company. I can build on something. If I can just keep working, my family will have to wait because they understand I'm doing this for them. Some of us are working and trying to find a rest in being the ideal and perfect parent. And then we lose our temper, and then we become impatient, and the whole thing crumbles like a house of cards, and we realize that we're not going to find our rest in being the perfect parent. We have to rest in being imperfect and letting the grace of God make up the slack. Some of us are finding our rest in the approval of others, and we work very hard at not offending and not being offended. We want always to be approved by others, and we realize that there's a price to be paid for that. Some of us are looking for rest in being physically fit, and there's nothing wrong in that either. But if you're counting calories instead of blessings, then something's amiss. And some of us, I think, are looking for rest in our just plain performance. If I can just keep cranking it out, if I can just keep being good enough, if I can just never let them see me sweat and keep a smile on my face and say, everything is fine, Life is good. Eventually, all of those sources, all of those things that we look for and rely upon rest are going to let us down. It's like what Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Idols. How do you know if you're looking, for, looking to Jesus for your rest? Well, because if the thing that you're looking for for rest is taken away from you, can you still go on living? But if Jesus is never taken away from you, because his presence is permanent, his assurance is forever, then your rest is permanent. The commands that Jesus gives us in Matthew 11, 28 to 30 are very simple, very direct. Three of them, as a matter of fact. Come, take, learn. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, he says, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will, you'll find rest for your souls. Come, take, learn with the result that you find less, rest. So if you want to find true rest, Jesus says, come to me. Now, this verse is likely so familiar to us, we, we cannot grasp how blasphemous this sounded to Jesus' original audience. It would be, well... <laughs> If I were to stand before you and, and make the same claim, you would think, no, well, that's nice, Pastor Malanga, but you're really, you're human. <laughs> Jesus, what Jesus says here is radically blasphemous because he doesn't say come to God. He says come to me. He doesn't say come to Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says come to me. And then he compounds, if you will, the blasphemy by saying, take my yoke. I know you've got teachers, you've got instructors, you've got rabbis who have been diligent in teaching you the law and exemplifying what the law looks like. But no, I want you not to learn from them anymore. I want you to learn from me. So come to me, take my yoke, my teaching, my instruction, and learn from me. And that is going to give you rest. Jesus is speaking here as more than just this authorized representative from God. Like he hasn't, you know, he doesn't have his Enneagram coach label 
on his uh, lapel saying, I'll give you everything you need to know. He is God in human flesh. So when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. To come to Jesus then is to come to God. In plain English, Jesus gives God a face and reveals God's heart for the lost, for the tired, for the overburdened, for those who are struggling to always be at their best and kick themselves because they cannot be, or are always on guard to keep their guard up so that no one will ever see them be less than themselves. The rest that Jesus offers here, obviously, is not rest from physical labor. It's one that puts us right, first of all, puts us right with God. Because when you think about it, and believe me, as one who desperately seeks the approval of others, nothing I do will make myself good enough for others. Nothing I do will make myself good enough for God. But Jesus says, come to me and I will make you good enough. Because I will give you my goodness and that's all the goodness you need. Nothing I do will make me a better friend, a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better wife or mother, a better worker, a better boss. Nothing. You can try. Jesus says, you come to me, I'll make you better. I'll make you more compassionate. I'll make you more forgiving. I'll make you more tender-hearted. I'll make you more thick-skinned so you can deal with the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Nothing you do will earn or gain you the approval that you seek, but Jesus says, come to me and I will overwhelm you with all the love, affirmation, and approval you need. Stop trying to be good and come to me, he says. Trust me, follow me, learn from me, and I will give you rest. Where, where are you looking for rest? I mean, the little kids in the audience, if they're still here, they're looking for rest in what's underneath the tree on Christmas Day. Because they got their hopes up. And if we're honest, we're looking for the similar kinds of things, but in other areas. But we understand from, from our own experience that there's no experience in this life that will give us this, the rest and the satisfaction that we seek. This is a, a, an observation made by C.S. Lewis. During uh, World War II, Lewis, um, back in the middle of the 20th century, back in the 1940s, he gave a series of radio talks for the BBC radio. The lectures were eventually made into the book uh, Mere Christianity. And in the chapter titled Hope, Lewis writes, this is another famous uh, quote from um, Lewis. He says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Where are you looking for rest? 
Nothing and no one in this world will give us the rest that we seek. The reason is because you and I, along with everyone else in this world, were made for another world. We were made for another kind of life. We were made for another kind of rest which Jesus invites us to live. So on those days when you find yourself frustrated at your own imperfection, when you find yourself at your wit's end because the thing that you've been working hard for fails and doesn't come to fruition, when all of your plans fall at your feet like dust, remember Jesus says, come to me. There's a reason why those things have fallen. It's so that you will find your rest not in them, but in me. So when you lose your temper, when you lose your focus, when you lose your perspective, the voice of Christ rings out, come to me, come to me, come to me. Learn, learn. His invitation is not limited to a select few. We know that not everyone will accept it, but it's given to all who are weary and heavy laden. Everyone who's having a hard time of it is invited to come to Jesus. For those who find that it's just hard work to get through life at times, especially this time of year. He invites everyone that's burdened by the the failure to live up to expectations of others. Those who may be suffocating under the, the weight of regret, guilt, or a loss of honor. those who are weary of trying to breathe hope into dead dreams. He invites everyone. (laughs) There are are days, maybe you feel like this, Jesus' invitation goes out to those folks that feel like an orange that's been squeezed of everything in it and all that's left is the rind. You ever feel like that? Like everything, everyone has come to you. Everything has been demanded of you and you have just been squeezed and there's nothing left except the rind. And then people come and they want to squeeze it some more. This is where Isaiah 42 is helpful. Because as the servant of the Lord, Jesus holds out grace to the weary. He holds out the hope of healing to the bruised and the brokenhearted. He promises comfort to those who are poor in spirit. He encourages everyone that's exhausted by the failure of their own self-reliance to rely on him. In a world that preys on the weak, that mocks the meek and tramples on the brokenhearted. Jesus says, a bruised reed I will not break, a faintly burning wick I will not quench. Are you bruised this morning? Jesus says, come to me, I will heal you. Are you like a smoldering, a faintly burning wick? Jesus says, come to me, I will restore you. I like um, Martin Luther's comment on this verse because in, in, in reflecting on Jesus' invitation Luther observes this, this, and this is especially for someone like me, maybe you're in the same position where you're always working hard at being your best. And Luther observes here that what Jesus says is that my kingdom, my kingdom is a hospital for invalids. His invitation is, extends to all those who are yoked to a, a guilt and laboring under a burden of, of shame, anxiety, and fear. You know, I, I, I was, was listening to a sermon the other day, and, and I, I think I mentioned this to the Bible study guys. Um, 
a lot of times we come to church with the idea that we need to be perfect, right? We have to be, everything has to be just so. And, and people criticize the church because, well, there's so many imperfect people in it. And he says, but we never think about that when we go to the gym, do we? You don't walk into the gym and say, look at all these people. I mean, there are some people who are fit, but that guy, he's like 80 pounds overweight. Look at that lady over there. She can barely lift that thing. Yeah, I'm not coming to this gym ever again. When the very reason why you go to the gym is so that you can lose that weight and get into shape. Well, you come to church maybe with the same attitude. Look at that, he sings off key. He's wearing, he's wearing that to church? He can't find, he thinks Noah is a book in the Bible. Well, you come to church because you're imperfect. You come to church because the one who gives you rest invites you to come so that he might dis dispense grace and mercy and goodness. We look for rest in all the wrong places and in all the wrong things and all the time Jesus is saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. I have a friend who's dying of stage four cancer in Massachusetts and we talked the other day. He's, he's, he's an, an old man full of years. And I, I, we talked about this, and he said, you know, there's a treatment I'm, I'm taking and, and all of that. He said, but I'm not worried. <laughs> I, know, I know where I'm headed. That's rest. That's trust. That's a life that is not shaken by bad news. You receive it. It hits you hard. You understand for the moment, I am mortal. Because let's face it, <laughs> on one level, we're immortal until God says we're not. But on another level, we never think about our mortality until we have to. And that's when we need rest. That's when our ears are open to Jesus saying, come to me. Because as marvelous as medical science is, as mar marvelous as surgery can be, in the end, our ultimate dependence has to be on him. So Jesus says, you want to find rest, you come to me. And if you want to find true rest when you come to Jesus, he says, take my yoke upon you. And it's interesting here. It seems to be a paradox, right? We, Jesus is talking to tired people. And you would think the last thing tired people need is a yoke. What they need is a mattress. They need a soft pillow. They need a cup of cocoa, a, 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 a <laughs> macaroni and cheese. They need comfort food. But the yoke that Jesus offers them is not the yoke of a physical labor, although it may require some effort on our part. And there's a picture of a yoke here. The yoke that Jesus invites us to take here is every word of his instruction. Because we know from what Jesus says in John's gospel that if we hear what he says and put what he says into practice, then he and the Father, through the presence of the Spirit, will make their home in our heart. So it's by listening and taking and practicing what Jesus says that we understand what this rest will bring us. The yoke of daily discipleship, the yoke of daily obedience, the yoke of daily devotion to the good news that Jesus took on the yoke of our guilt, our shame, and our sin so that we can take on the yoke of his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. The yoke that Jesus offers us is the only one that guarantees a, a true and a permanently satisfying peace and rest. 
But beware, you, just as you can't serve two masters, you can't wear two yokes. You can't wear the yoke that Jesus gives you and you can't wear the yoke of something else. Every yoke that this world offers us promises rest, but only the yoke that Jesus offers us offers us true rest, true peace, and true assurance. If you think about it, None of us goes through life without wearing some kind of yoke. The question is, who made the yoke that you wear? Some yokes are self-made, either through guilt, shame, some form of addiction, some compulsion that we have, anger, lust. Some yokes are made for us. School. Work, marriage, expectations, illness, aging. And while we may feel strong enough to bear, to bear those yokes, there will come a time that sooner or later the yoke that we bear will become too heavy. So if life then is a series of yokes that we choose to wear, we must then choose wisely the yoke that we wear. That's why Jesus says, come to me and bear my yoke. You have a picture of the yoke up there? Right, there it is. Oh, I, I heard someone joke that probably the only time us city folks see a yoke is if you go to a restaurant that has like a country theme. So I mean, you go into the heart of New York City, it's like, well, there's a yoke. We have no idea what that is. Right? But it's, it was a walking implement that, that farmers use for beasts of burden, for oxen, for cattle, for draft horses that they would either use to, to plow or, or drag things. And Jesus invites us to wear his yoke by walking with him. And, and we have to change this image. because I think we have an image of somehow that the, the yoke that Jesus asks us to wear is of us wearing the yoke and Jesus sort of driving the team. But that's not the image, because you see, that's a double yoke. The image is that of being yoked with Jesus, not by Jesus. The, Jesus that, the yoke that Jesus invites us to take is the yoke that he took on when he took on human flesh and lived for a while among us. That's why it's, his burden is light and it's easy, because he's bearing it along with us. It's a yoke that he learned to carry during his life on earth. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So he says, take my yoke. It will offer you true rest. A yoke joined two oxen together and it made them a team. And Jesus invites us literally to become his yoke mate. Learn, he says, learn how to live, learn how to work, learn how to worship by walking beside me. He doesn't call us to bear this yoke alone. There's nothing noble about bearing the yoke alone. There's everything everything to be gained by bearing that yoke with Jesus as he lays it upon us, that he walks with us, he lives with us, 
When the load feels as if it's too heavy, he is there to help us carry it. Some of you may, I don't know if it's, uh, well, I remember as, as a young pastor walking into houses in North Dakota, maybe you've seen this little thing where, the, you know, the, the, the footprints poem. You're familiar with the footprints poem? Like, you know, walking along the beach, guy had a dream, so there's two sets of footprints, and then there were times when there were only one set, and then he asked Jesus when he sees him in heaven, how come there's only one set of footprints? I felt like you left me. He said, no, no, those are the times when I carried you. Right? No. He was, you were walking, you were walking, and he was walking right there beside you. You were never left alone. He doesn't necessarily carry you. But he helps you walk. He helps you, right? Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, nothing in there about God carrying you, right? Your journey is your journey, but it's a journey that Christ has already walked, so he knows every step of the way. So when he says, take my yoke upon you, understand that I've carried that yoke into those dark passages. I've carried that yoke into the recesses and the corners of your mind when you've had thoughts that you can't share with anyone else because if you did, you, you would lose friendship. You would lose relationships. I have carried that yoke into places where you've been so afraid that you've despaired of life, even of itself, and yet have come out on the other side. I have borne that yoke into those moments when you feel so guilty as a parent for something that you said or didn't do to your child. You never feel as if you could ever be forgiven. And Jesus says, my grace covers everything. Take my yoke. It's light. It's certainly lighter than any one I can build. If you want to find true rest, lastly, Jesus says, learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Everyone who puts their trust in Jesus and learns from him discovers that he really is gentle and humble in heart. I heard a friend one time say, the last thing you want to do is meet your hero because they will disappoint you. <laughs> there was, you know, a famous writer, a famous preacher, and then you sort of see, and they're, they're gruff, and you're like, what's up with that? Right? But you meet Jesus, and he's, he's true. Right? A bruised reed he won't break. A smoldering wick he won't snuff out. But I understand because I've spoken to a lot in years of ministry, people who are bruised, they find it very difficult to believe God could ever love them or forgive them. Bruised people find it very hard to believe in a gentle Savior because they have been shown their whole lives the very opposite. And here Jesus states clearly to the contrary, I am gentle and lowly of heart, humble in heart. Whatever image has been stamped upon your heart and soul by your past experience in church or in some parachurch ministry or in anything. Jesus, the blood of Christ, can wash that away and you see him as he is. Bruised people find it difficult to trust God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And what hope they have flickers like that faintly burning candle they need Jesus. We need Jesus to fan that back into flame. And so when we're mistreated and when we're wounded by others, Jesus says, learn from me. Read and see how Jesus deals with those who mistreat him. 
Learn, as some of you have. Learn how to walk with a limp, like Jacob. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to trust God to make things right. Learn how to forget what lies behind and press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A true and permanent peace is what Jesus offers us. Several years ago, I, I read a, uh, a there's, an ex, there's an expository commentary on Isaiah 42, and I'll end with this. Uh, it's by Richard Sibbs. The commentary is called The Bruised Reed. You can find it, I think, at Banner of Truth or Amazon. Sibbs writes this. He says, if Christ should not be merciful to our weaknesses. He should not have a people to serve him. Suppose, therefore, we are very weak, yet so long as we are not found amongst the malicious oppressors and underminers of God's truth, let us not give way to despairing thoughts. We have a merciful Savior. That's the promise of Advent. We have a merciful Savior. We have a gracious Lord. We have a teacher who is gentle and humble in heart. We have a redeemer who not only gives us rest, but he is in fact the very rest that we need. You think about that, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the rest that he brings to us. We thank you that we can find this rest and that he offers it to us freely. So we pray that during this Advent season we might come, we might take, we might learn, that we might find true rest in a true Savior who is truly gentle and humble in heart. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.